and welcome to The Scriptures Are Real. I'm your host, Lamar Newmeyer, and this is my co-host and also regular host, Carrie Mielstein. Hi, Lamar. Hey, good to see you. It's a brand new year. Happy New Year. Yeah, thank you. Happy New Year. I'm so, so excited to be doing Book of Mormon with you this year. It's going to be a great year. Yes, we've gained a lot of new uh, subscribers, a lot of people listening on different platforms, and, and thank you for everybody who's listening on on Spotify or on Apple uh, Podcasts um, and, uh, of course, YouTube. Uh, thank and you very all, much for joining us. All the different us. platforms. All the yeah. different platforms. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Um, and if, you, if you're new to the podcast, uh, let us give you a little bit of information about it. This is our third year now. Uh, we're starting the third year of doing this podcast, right? Yep. Yep. We started with Old Testament and, uh, and went through all the Old Testament. Well, I mean, we of course, we could have spent much more time on it, but we hit as much as we could. We're kind of going along the Come Follow Me. Our, our plan is not to uh, rehash the, the Come Follow Me or go piece by piece, but our, our objective in this podcast is to take elements of those things that you will see in the Come Follow Me program and talk about how they are real to us, how they're applicable to us now, and to understand that the people and the places that are talked about in these books of scripture are real places, real people. They dealt with real trouble and joys and happiness as well. So the idea is and to make so it really applies to us, right? That, that way. So we'll do the deep dives on a few elements rather than right. cover all of it. We'll take a few real elements and deep dive on it. Exactly. So that's the 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 uh, the goal of this podcast is to really get in, into deep in in some of the characters and people and how it makes it real to us. So uh, again, thank you for joining us. This whole new year will be the Book of Mormon. And uh, if you haven't heard our other ones, go back and listen. It's not just Carrie and I. Carrie and I talk several uh, different times there throughout the different uh, books. But Carrie has on lots of other uh, guests that he's had that have written books and have given presentations, are currently studying in Israel or have great amounts of knowledge in certain areas. And uh, I encourage you to go back and listen to those ones as well. They're they're very fascinating. I listen to all of them. I am. When I'm not on, I'm listening to what they're recording. So I uh, I love all this stuff. I'm a fan of the of the podcast as well. So, um, Carrie, anything you want to add to, as as way of intro? Tell me about yourself. You tell us a little bit about where you are, are from and and what uh, how you came to be on this podcast. Yeah, I guess maybe uh, since we have a lot of listeners that uh, have joined since we began, uh, maybe some people don't know a lot about what uh, you and I do and. Um, I think we did a little intro of you uh, a few episodes ago, but I think we should learn a little bit more or we, hopefully we have new people joining as we start uh, Book of Mormon. So I'd, I'd love to uh, learn more about you as well. But maybe I can just tell a little bit of my story and why we're doing uh, this podcast. Uh, I, uh, I I am a professor of ancient scripture at BYU. I uh, originally thought I was going to be a, a novelist or a PR person or something along those lines. Uh, but I fell in love with uh, uh, the scriptures and helping people really learn and understand the scriptures. And so I was going to be a seminary teacher. Uh, then I saw a teacher. I was taking an Old Testament class. And then we had a, a guest teacher come in, someone who was just finishing a Ph.D. at the University of Chicago. And and uh, we were seeing BYU, seeing if they wanted to hire uh, this woman. And when I saw what she could do because she had taken the time to uh, learn a lot about the the ancient world, I thought, oh, I don't want to spend the rest of my life wishing that I'd done that. I I just need to do that. So oh, I, yeah. started, uh, I started uh, studying Hebrew and ancient Near Eastern studies. Uh, I ended up doing like seven years of Hebrew and uh, a whole bunch of ancient studies. So I ended up getting a, a Hebrew minor. Then I did a master's at BYU and, and basically biblical Hebrew and ancient Near Eastern studies. Um, and in the middle of that, uh, as I was really learning to understand these things, um, well, I went to study Hebrew in Jerusalem. And the scriptures became so real to me. And I had some powerful moments where I thought, I mean, the, the, really the spirit testified, these are real people, real stories. And it, it, it was so impactful for me. I thought I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to help others have that experience, whether that be in the classroom or on sites or via podcasts, which didn't exist at the time. So I didn't think of that then, but, um, or whatever writing or whatever else I want to help these become real. Part of that, I was figuring out that I, uh, as, as these people became real to me, I recognized that for them, a powerful way of communicating was through symbols and symbolic action. 
uh, that that was different than my own culture. But as they became real to me, I realized that's what uh, these people did. And I thought, well, if I'm going to understand the symbols, uh, no one does symbols like ancient Egypt. So I thought I'm going to, you know, study oh, ancient yeah. Egypt for a while. And as I did that, I fell in love with ancient Egypt. Uh, just absolutely fell in love with it. Um, I decided I wanted to go and study and uh, become an Egyptologist. But then there were some things happening at BYU, and I decided because I'd, I'd also learned to love researching. I got a job as a research assistant, and I fell in love with research. And I thought, well, I need to teach somewhere where I can both teach and research. And uh, if you're going to do that with the scriptures from an LDS point of view, there aren't uh, a lot of options. Uh, right. and so I, I've ended up doing both BYU and BYU Provo. Um, but um, uh, I decided, okay, I'm going to do Egyptology. And then there were some things going on here where there had been some Egyptologists that applied, and and then it turns out that they didn't really have a testimony of things. And there was kind of not much of an environment for hiring an Egyptologist. So I thought, well, I'd like to do Egyptology, but I, I guess I better not if I want this job. And I can still remember uh, I was teaching by that time part-time here at BYU. I was an adjunct teacher while I was working on some uh, graduate degrees. And um, I can still remember when an associate dean ran into me uh, right by the elevator. I could go stand in the exact spot still. And uh, he said, uh, are you still interested in studying Egypt? And I said, well, I, I had been, but, you know, why I'm not doing it. And he said, well, we just got off the phone. He was, I think I just said he was an associate dean. We just got off the phone with two apostles. I've learned since that that was Elder Oaks and Elder Maxwell. But um, wow, he said, we just got off the phone with two apostles and they'd like for us to study or hire an Egyptologist. So we think <laughs> that that maybe you should go study that. And I can still remember just feeling like I, I felt like this weight that I didn't even know I was carrying was lifted off my shoulders. I almost felt like I could just feel it going through the ceiling on the third floor of the Joseph Smith building. Um, and I felt like I might float up through that floor and that, <laughs> that was just what I needed to do. So I went and got a, a degree at my PhD at UCLA in Egyptology with a secondary emphasis in Hebrew language and literature. And, uh, I've been pursuing this ever since. I direct an excavation in Egypt. I've taught at the Jerusalem Center a couple of times. I take tours and, and do studies in Egypt. I've gone there for different studies in Egypt and Israel. I do tours and studies in Israel as well. I've gone there with Egyptologists and Hebraists and archaeologists as we go around different places and try and figure out what's going on. And then I've done it with students. I've done it with family. I've done it with friends. Uh, and uh, so again, my my passion really is, and like uh, I teach at BYU now and and so on. So my passion is to help the scriptures become real to people so they can feel the power that comes when they can apply them in that way. Well, that is excellent. I didn't know the story about uh, about Elder Maxwell and Elder Rooks. That's a that's interesting uh, bit. And I, I kind of had a, 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 a not the same academic path, but the same. Wait, you know, before you say that, I guess I just want to say something because yeah, I don't want ahead. to be misunderstood. I don't know. I'm not trying to say that that meant that Elder Maxwell and Elder Oaks had an inspiration that I needed to be this person and that they needed to hire me. I'm not implying that. Right. That their conversation is what prompted that associate dean to talk to me, and right. and that, but it did change the environment so that they were willing to look into Egyptologists and interested in looking into Egyptologists. So yeah, interesting because well. That's interesting because I, I had uh, I didn't know that we had anybody any real Egyptologists in the church as well, and my story is a little bit similar to yours in in the interest wise. I didn't go into the academic side of it like you did, but I did go. Uh, I went through. Uh, I was always fascinated with Egypt. I, I just loved anything to do with Egypt. Uh, all growing up, it, just just the, the the symbols they had, the the writing they had how they could figure out angles and, and build these great buildings. I mean, I always had a fascination with that. And on my mission, I had a lot of things. I had a baptism by fire on a lot of things. I got a lot of people. Um, I, I went to on a mission in an area that was very um, filled with uh, anti-Mormon stuff. Hmm. And so everyone wanted to test you on this and on that. And I, I had a good knowledge of this. I had, I had my brother and my dad were very uh, sharp in the gospel and had taught me a lot of stuff. But there was things that were coming up constantly that I couldn't answer. And I'm like, I don't know about that, but I'll, I'll look into it and I'll check it out. And, you know, you're trying to teach at the same time you search it. So I would spend many P days and whatever, you know, going through weird libraries and just studying stuff. And I got to be friends with a pastor on my mission, uh, who, um, who, uh, actually two pastors, one was, was really good at each in Hebrew and, and he was teaching me some basics and stuff. And anyway, I got with an Institute teacher also, who was just fabulous. I, I've talked about him throughout our time together, uh, Jim Carver. Uh, he's passed on, unfortunately, now, but 
he was a fascinating guy and he really helped guide me in a lot of things. And if I had a question, I'd say, brother Carver, what about this? And anyway, just fascinating. So I, when I got off my mission, I really wanted to study a lot of these things and get in deeper into some of them and, uh, and uh, including Egypt. And so um, what maybe whatever audience may not know, some of you may, cause we've talked about it before, but uh, we were ward clerks together in a BYU ward mm-hmm. and got to know each other pretty well. And when you first uh, started going into your master's program, I took your first class that you were teaching. Yeah. And for soul. <laughs> no, it was good. It was a good class. And uh, I, that's one of the first papers I wrote uh, for your class is um, I wanted to tie in some stuff. And so uh, with Egypt and there had been a recent um, excavation that had turned up some interesting finds. We'll talk about it some other time, but it had some finds that had parallels with the LDS doctrines and gospel and so forth with the, with how we understand things. Uh, as I wanted to tie in that, that those findings of um, the, the, the new excavation that had happened that was in the National Geographic, I'm like, oh, this is great. And so I talked to you about it and you said, uh, you know, you should talk to us, Hugh Nibley. And I'm like, would I ever like to talk to Hugh Nibley? And he had a, uh, a nice section of the Harold B. Lee Library at the time that was a big section of the library on the fourth floor. And uh, I went over there and made an appointment with him. And uh, he was very gracious and met with me and talked to me. And I, I also, it helped that I knew his, uh, his granddaughter, Natalie. And I said, hey, I know Natalie too. Anyway, so um, he, uh, he walked me around and, and he was like a fire hose, like he always is, but just so much information. And I was trying to figure out what he was talking about and where he was talking about and how to keep this track. And then I, I tried to write out as many notes as I could, but he was walking around his library and he'd grab a book and hand it to me and I'm a, and he'd pull out of this. And anyway, I just loved Egypt all that time and, and all this information. And so after I graduated, I went into business and doing all those things. And then you'd gone off to, uh, well, we, after I parted, we didn't see each other for a while. Yeah. I went then, to UCLA from there, but yeah. Yeah. And then UCLA, and then you were in, over there in uh, Jerusalem a few different times, and yeah, and then Hawaii. I exactly, and I saw this uh, video of you talking about one of the things that we had, that I had talked about. And I was like, oh, I got to get in touch with him. So anyway, uh, after several years of not contacting, I uh, we got in contact again, and I said, hey, can I bug you and ask you about these things? And by that time, you'd finished a PhD in Egyptology, and we're doing a uh, uh, an excavation, and I was very excited to do that. Anyway, so. That's how we, uh, that's how I started. But during that time, while I, w- while you were off, you know, learning all these great things, I'd been a seminary teacher and I'd continued to study with a bunch of people and people would ask me questions all the time. Like, have you ever heard of this? And have you ever heard of this? And, and I tried to do the, the deep research that other people didn't have access to or didn't know existed or whatever. And that's where I came from. And, and someday I'll tell you, uh, uh, well, maybe I'll go through about how I, uh, worked through some really difficult questions from um, from some uh, some anti Mormons that were just crazy. And anyway, uh, that's that'll be a, a fun thing to talk about sometime. Uh, maybe we'll do another one. Anyway, that sounds to I, me, Lamar, like we should put together a scriptures or real Egypt tour sometime. Oh uh, yeah. So you know, that. I've got this uh, website I'm starting, Enlightened Edge. Uh, uh, what is it? Enlightened Edge Edu, where we're focusing on edifying. Uh, educational experiences, and I want tours to be part of those experiences. So keep uh, on that website, anyone who's listening, and we'll announce it on here. But And it'll have to be a few years because I'm backed up for like about four or five years on tours. But um, we'll we'll put together a Scriptures Are Real uh, podcast tour. Uh, I'll be the first one to sometime. sign up on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, we'll, you and I will host it. It'll be fun. That'll be great. And I know that you've done some great work with uh, with this year, with or end of last year, with Saints Unscripted and a few other people that are, are putting together good stuff. And, and I'd like to do that, too. I'd like to draw in a good or, or contribute to your efforts to drawing in other people that are working hard to uh, to bring to light the dark things of the world. Not dark things of the world, but that's how the scriptures read it, you know. Yeah. But things that we don't know much about are, are, you know, anyway, connecting the dots for people so that they can understand there are resources and there are people out there that uh, that can help you answer questions. So just it's easier to access people now. And so let's access that information and get that out. to people. So anyway, that's where Carrie and I come from. And um, and it we uh, a couple of years ago, uh, Carrie said, hey, do you want to to uh, co-host a podcast with me? And I'm like, for sure. I mean, I I'm not near the the uh, researcher that you have been or, or got the uh, the degrees that you do. But I am an enthusiast in this and I do love the scriptures. So 
I'll be happy to contribute where I can. So that's how we came together uh, doing this podcast. And we hope it's, it's uh, something that you can get into, that you can be excited about, that it makes the scriptures come alive and, and are real to you. And we're excited for this book, this book of scripture. And I want to yes. talk a little bit about uh, this, just the name. First of all, the Book of Mormon. Um, sometimes that's, that comes off so casually, the Book of Mormon. The book. I, I like to think of it as the record of Mormon. It's not the it's not a book that Mormon wrote about stuff. He abridged a record of a people. This is a collection of journals and passages and wisdom that he has, and he's collected that together and abridged it for us. But it's a record of the people of Mormon or where he comes from. And I like to think of it as a record or a journal rather than just a book. It's not just a book. The Bible's not just a book. This is a record of people. This is what they wrote down. This is their life story. This is their legacy that they've left for us. And Mormon has come along and selected out the parts that are going that he feels inspired that are going to be the best for us. He and and, uh, and some other prophets also have abridged some things along with uh, Moroni at the end, but have picked out these parts that will be specifically for our generation, things that will, will resonate with our generation because he knows what we're going to go through. He's seen our day and he's like, these things will be relevant to you. So it's if someone's coming through a thousand years of history, roughly and saying, here's the things that happened to us. You should pay attention to these things. Yeah, I, I, you're so, so right. And I hope we can think about, uh, as you said, each of these individuals will be studying and make them real for us, like really think about who they are, what they're going through as they do this. And and I think you're right that the key to really understanding that now that the small place that we're starting with weren't from Mormon other than that he saw them and he was like, these are fantastic and I'm inspired to include them. But most of what we're going to read, uh, we, we have to always keep in mind uh, Mormon or uh, for a little bit Moroni's role. Right. And and uh, you touched on this, but Moroni says, uh, I speak in you as if you were present, you're not, but I, I've seen you. All right. I know your doings. And you you have to assume that was true for Mormon as well. I don't know why right. God would do I'm it sure. just for Moroni and say, well, I know you're only doing a little bit of this, but let's help you really understand. Your dad didn't need to understand. Right. Uh, I'm sure it's true of Mormon as well. So uh, let's let's be thinking of the people Mormon is giving us the record of all along. But let's also think of Mormon as a real I hope he becomes very real to us. I, Mormon should become our guide and our friend uh, this year. As we think about, okay, Mormon, why why are you giving me this? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's what's been going on with you? What inspiration are you receiving that uh, guides you to include this? Now, for this first part, that's going to be Nephi, right? What, right what's right. Uh, and we're going to have to ask those questions about Nephi. Nephi is going to narrate his own thing, but you're right. As soon as we get to the transitions here between the books, you'll see Mormon pop in and like, ah, I'm going to add a little section here. And, and bridge this, this, and, and thus we see, we see that yeah. a lot from Mormon. And thus we see, this is what happened, and then he'll bridge another part. So we'll see those editorial notes as he goes along, and those narratives. So yes, he, he really did, you know, cull through a lot of things to get, get what he is. And, and exactly like Mormon, I think Moroni is just an extension of Mormon. He's really just fulfilling the end of what his father saw and yeah. did. And he puts that. So um, let's well, and let, maybe let's talk about yeah. Nephi uh, as we're starting here, mm -hmm. right? And and, and uh, I don't think we'll end up spending a great deal of time on it when we get there. But if we were to go to First Nephi 19, which is outside of this week's reading, but uh, I think it's in next week's reading. If not, it's soon thereafter. But um, you, Nephi lets us know I've I've already written this, right? I've already written a whole story. Uh, I've written plates that, uh, and I'm inspired to write this now, these small plates. And that's what we're going to get. We're not going to get uh, Nephi's other writings. We're getting these small plates. And uh, it's probably hard. Like for me, it's difficult to do a, another writing of something. You're like, I already wrote this. I don't have the energy to write this again. <laughs> right. um, but uh, Nephi really gets into this. And uh, we're going to have to ask ourselves, why is Nephi including what he's including and the way he's including it, what, the way he's summarizing it, what is he skipping over? What is he focusing on? Um, because there's tons of stuff he skips over and a ton of stuff he really, really focuses on. And right. uh, we need to let Nephi be real to us and then ask ourselves, why is the Lord inspiring Nephi and what's going on with Nephi that this is what he's giving us? Right. That's great. And. The, the task of these guys to 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 
break all this history down into this, the, you know, just the most plain and precious parts, if I put it that way. Um, they have. There's a lot of other things that are, are happening, I'm sure. There's a lot of other yeah. and things that they can't include here. And just to set the stage, and most of our readers and or not readers, but listeners and, and watchers will know this. The Book of Mormon is particularly about four sets of people. Now, there are subgroups in there, and then there's different kind of ites, you know, the Zoramites or whatever like that. But it's particularly about Lehi and his family, who are then split into Lamanites and Nephites and Lamanites. Um, and then there are, again, there's some subgroups, Zoramites and so forth. But that's that one family that, that goes throughout the whole Book of Mormon. In, within that group, we intersect two other groups that came in, um, came to this continent, uh, independent of Lehi and his family. We have the right. Mulekites, and we'll talk about them. We won't get into it here, but we'll talk about the Mulekites came independently from the Jerusalem area, as did the Jaredites much before them. The Jaredites are way back Tower of Babel time, so we're talking Genesis here. Yeah. Uh, they came over here and were here, and so there's a lot of things going on in this, and we'll hit a lot of those different books, but that's the main stage that we're looking at is this one family and where they go. And then of course we'll intersect with some histories of two other people over here, but how many other, you know, uh, books or sets of scripture are there out there? Are there other islands of the sea or other continents to where people went and, and had prophets and had writings that we just don't have part of the 10 tribes? You know, is there something in Scandinavia? We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. I'm sure there are more. And I think, you're right. It's it's important to recognize that we're getting this from uh, Nephi's descendants, right? So in a way, sometimes we forget this, but um, the Book of Mormon actually helps us remember it, that uh, the the Bible is uh, the record of Judah's descendants, especially the Old Testament, right. but still really most of the New Testament. Uh, it's the record of Judah's descendants, and we know that they didn't include a lot of stuff that came from that northern group. And the reason we know that is because they're in the Book of Mormon, right? That's so, right. Um, yeah. uh, the, so we know that there's a lot of stuff in there, but uh, and we we sometimes forget how influenced what we're being presented with is by whose point of view we're getting it. So we're getting this from the Nephites. Now, that that it also reminds me of something else that's worth just touching on. We don't know enough to say much more, but there are, are plenty of scholars and uh, a rather convincing article, but uh, uh, plenty of scholars, and I'm fairly convinced of this myself, who would argue that uh, as the Lehi's family gets here, uh, we tend to think, okay, they got here, the Jaredites had all died, and so it's a big empty land and there's no one else. And and I suspect that's not accurate. I, I suspect that there are a bunch of people running around and that when the Lamanites uh, are defecting, uh, as it were, that in some ways they're joining other people. And the Nephites just call all those people Lamanites or, or whatever sure. they uh, – um, I mean, the Lamanites, how how else would they be so much more numerous than the Nephites, especially after the Nephites have joined the Mulekites? You'd expect them to be more now that you have two groups that are joined together, and yet there are still more Lamanites than there are Nephites, right? Or you have little things like uh, when um, you have, uh, oh, now I can't think of his name. What's our first Antichrist? Sherem. Sherem sure. comes to Jacob, right? And he says, I've been trying to find a way to talk to you for a long time. Well, if the, if the only people around are Lehi's family, that, that's Uncle Jacob, right? How hard is it to go find your uncle? There are like five families around. I mean, it, it's not that hard to go find him, right? But but he, right. he's been having a hard time finding him and talking to him, which suggests he's an outsider uh, and so on. Um, so anyway, I don't know that we know for sure, but it's worth being open to that idea that there may be a, a number of people who kind of get glossed over because – the descendants of Nephi are focusing on Lehi's family. Well, and we know that the reason why we know this is because these people, Mulekites and and, uh, and the Jaredites, wrote stuff down. We have some yeah. writings from them, and which we're going to get to here, here in chapter one, which is a key to why they needed the the the, the plates of Laban or the, the plates that Laban had, those brass plates. Otherwise, their language and and their record yeah. might be lost forever. So we're going to get that in just a second. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. There, there's probably other people that were here or around or that they intersected with, but we don't have a record of because there was no written language or, or there wasn't any written record, rather, uh, of these people and what they did. But they, you're right. They probably were here and they're, pre, you know, there might be other stories out there that we just don't know of right now. So, yeah. Well, that's fun. Okay. And by the way, one more thing 
uh, of my setup. I'm going to try to remember to put these and give you the show notes. There are two things that help in the seminary. Um, you would get those little cards and they, at the beginning, they would have some sort of summaries and there's a chronology chart that might help some people. It looks kind of busy and you have to spend some time with it to look and figure out what's actually going, but there's a lot of information on that card. It's not as easy to find as you might think, but it's in uh, it's online. You can get to it and it has a record of these people and where they went and the little notes about them. Um, I'll, we'll put that in the show notes. There's a yeah. book warmer timeline and there's also a chronology chart that is online in the study helps. And we'll put that one there too. And yeah. That the church brief... produced, right? Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And it's in, it's in the study helps and it will tell you the groups of people and their rough timeline where it happens. So that might, if you're new to the Book of Mormon or you're just remembering how it all goes together, it's been a little while since we've gone over it. That might help you just kind of put some things in order, uh, who is what, and, uh, and make it uh, make it um, a little more clear. And then you can start filling it in with the, with the character. So with saying that, let's get in there. And I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, uh, we start off with the, the Book of Nephi. Now we have First Nephi and Second Nephi. Why do we break it up into two books? Now, remember, originally, when Joseph Smith translated this, and the first printings of the Book of Mormon don't have all the headings. They're just it's just a straight narrative all the way through. It doesn't have yeah. verses one, two, three, four, and so forth. We do that later, just for ease. same with the Bible. Um, we do that just for ease of breaking up to where we can reference different parts. But originally, it was there. But why do we have two books in Nephi instead of just one book? Yeah, there are some. Um... There are some headings that seem to be inherent to the gold plates. So not this stuff that's in italics that, that we've created, right? Where, for example, if you're to, to go to First um, Nephi chapter 1, uh, underneath the chapter 1 heading, you see in italics, Nephi begins the, the record of his people and so on. But the stuff right above that seems to be either, well, you, you see... At the very end of it, it's talking third person for most of it. Nephi taketh his brethren and returns to the land of Jerusalem and so on. But at the very end of that, you get this line. This is according to the account of Nephi, or in other words, I, Nephi, wrote this record, right? And so right. you get a little bit of that. If you go to Second Nephi, right before where it says chapter one and it has the italics, and that's the stuff that we've added. Uh, and I just have to tell you, and maybe I'm a heretic for this, but mm -hmm. I'm not a huge fan of those chapter summaries. Um, they can be useful. So I find them really useful if you're trying to find something quickly. Right. But if people read them ahead of time, then basically, typically what happens is people limit themselves. They say, oh, this is what it's about. And they don't find any other meaning. They've just had someone else tell them what they can find in that chapter, what they will learn from that chapter. And they don't open themselves up to the spirit teaching them something different uh, or their mind being able to teach them something different. They've said, OK, whoever wrote this chapter heading and the people who wrote those said again and again, this isn't comprehensive. This isn't a, a necessarily inspired. This isn't the scripture. Um, uh, so. I always skip the chapter headings. Plus, who wants to read the end of the book at the beginning? But anyway, <laughs> but I don't skip this stuff that's before it because it seems to be written by Nephi. So you get part of the reason we break it into second Nephi is that you get um, here at the uh, at the right before the where we write chapter one. He says, an account of the death of Lehi, Nephi's brethren rebel against him. The Lord wants Nephi to depart into the wilderness, his journeyings in the wilderness and so forth. So. Nephi seems to have inserted a break there, and that's why we do. Now, uh, the, the break seems to be we've gotten to the promised land, um, and uh, they get to the promised land, and then there are some things that, that uh, prophetically and, and you know, theologically he's going to say about that because they get there in 1 Nephi 18, and then 19 uh, through the end of, of uh, 1 Nephi, he's going to talk to us about, you know, through chapter 22, he's going to talk to us about um, how they've been broken off from Israel. And so we'll talk about this more when we get there, but this is a big thing for them. We, the covenant's about the promised land. We're not in the promised land anymore. We're in a different promised land. What does that mean for us? And so they've got this whole thing where they try and understand what it means for them to be Israelites or part of the house of Israel or covenant people in a different place. And as soon as he's done with that, then he says a break and he says, okay, well, now this is the record of what it's like for us in the promised land. And that seems to be the real division between First and Second Nephi, even though there's not a lot of story in Second Nephi. It's mostly talking about Christ. Yeah, I have a way of thinking about that. 
no, first of all, I guess we should say that the Book of Mormon or the plates that the Book of Mormon was translated from would have started with the Book of Lehi. There was a Book yeah. of Lehi who started with that. And there's much information in there where they where he talks about, uh, you know, where he would have talked about his vision and all those kind of things. But because yeah, of and presumably Lehi's other right or Nephi's other right, Mormon abridging the the large plates of Nephi presumably is on there as well, right? So you've got Lehi's and Nephi's writings, presumably. Right, right, exactly. And, and so you have you're gonna have quite a bit of information, and that that's lost to us now. We don't know how big the book of Lehi was. I mean, in other words, 116 handwritten pages that came from that, but we don't know if that was the whole book of Lehi yeah. or or if it was it might have been, it might have been part of it and they stopped it. But Nephi says, my dad did this. He, he wrote all that stuff down. I'm not going to cover all this. You'll see that in the first three chapters. There's a couple things you'll say. Uh, you know, my dad had these great visions and many things he saw. Um, I'm not going to write those things. Um, he, he did. He already wrote those things. But I, he does say later, the Lord wanted me to do a recap for whatever purpose, for a wise purpose, he calls it. He, he's going to do a recap and do this. Well, we know what the wise purpose was because the book of Lehi ends up effectually lost for us we yeah. don't have the book of Lehi, so nephi comes recounts some of that same type of thing so i think of of the first part of nephi first nephi i think of it as mostly the narrative of his people there's a little bit of that in second nephi but the second nephi uh the second book of nephi i think is the lecture series yeah i think he does write it because then he goes we we see this and this happens and then also this reminds us of isaiah and then he quotes a bunch of isaiah so that's the lecture series and then Jacob pops up in there a little bit, finishes yeah. off a couple of things, you know. So I think of that as the lecture series and the wrap up of some other things. But most of the first of Nephi is the history part that he recaps again, includes his father's uh, writings and vision and so forth. Second Nephi is uh, a little bit of narrative, but a lot of lectures. And uh, I don't make that sound that sounds too boring. Um, um, maybe general conference talks or whatever, or yeah. you know. He's fantastic sermons. Yeah. Yeah. Sermons is a better way to say it. Yeah. Sermons is better because he talks about that and he expounds on the words of, of Isaiah. And sometimes he just copies straight sections of Isaiah, you know, in there and like, hey, this is what Isaiah said. And these are great. Right. So that's I just want to kind of get that out there. There's two books and why the books, they kind of overlap each other, sort of. But there's a reason why there's two separate books there. And, you know, they kind of. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of go back. So anyway, so let's get into first Nephi. What do you think? Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, so we learned a little bit about Nephi, and I, of course, in the first two chapters, especially, you're going to get a lot of our, a lot of the primary things uh, that, uh, I mean, the, one of the things like uh, born of goodly parents, and then I will go and do all the things that you hear in primary about Nephi, you'll see those, uh, you'll see those pop up at the beginning here, and I like the way um, Nephi introduces himself in there, he's born of goodly parents, He's taught someone in learning his father, and he has seen many afflictions in his days. So this is obviously written as a summary. He's at the end of his life, I would imagine. At yeah, this point, right? yeah this or, seems to be the end of his ministry. Exactly. Yeah, and, and again, it's, it's worth thinking. I was going to say this earlier, and I forgot. Um, it's worth thinking that, again, these are the small plates of Nephi, right? So Mormon mm -hmm. appends them to this. Uh, they're not integral to the book of mormon in some ways right for what he's written there there there's something he just uh, mormon appends on because he's inspired to do so and now we know well that good it, we need this it, it's just incredible information but it also saves us from the last 116 pages it's also worth thinking that we're pretty sure we don't know 100 for sure but pretty sure that when joseph smith is translating he just keeps translating uh, where he was when when he lost the, the plates and then he eventually gets back to these small plates so these are probably actually the last things say a little bit that, about the big and the small plates just to, to be clear we're not talking about the first and second book of nephi we're talking about different yeah, for, so t say a little bit about that first and second nephi and jacob and jerem and uh, uh, well enos uh jerem on the uh, you know all this uh, up through the words of mormon are these small plates that were the second set of plates that Nephi wrote. So you've got the large plates of Nephi and the small plates of Nephi. I always laugh when he gets to explain the difference. He says, I've got these large plates, which I call the plates of Nephi. And then I made these small plates, which I call the plates of Nephi. I'm like, <laughs> uh, that's so helpful. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, 
Mormon seems to be abridging from the kind of more historical records, which I would guess the large plates of Nephi fit into. And this is that religious record. And he just finds it kind of when he's done, almost done with it. And he just sticks it on there. So they're, they seem to be smaller than the other stuff. I'm guessing physically, maybe it's, it means lengthwise. I don't know. Um, and uh, so this is really a different genre than the rest of the Book of Mormon, which is all Mormon's abridgment or Moroni's abridgment. This is just pure, straight Nephi, not abridging anything, just preaching his heart out. Great. All right. So I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but sometimes uh, people get the they think of first and second Nephi. I don't know how many people, but I would get this in seminary occasionally. Are we talking about first and second Nephi, the big and small plates? No. We're talking about the source material that Mormon abridged from yeah. are from the small plates and big plates. Some of them. Well, but the small plates are not an abridgment, right? They're just pure actual Nephi. Yeah. Right. And then the, and then the large plates are the, the more record of the people, but um, maybe it's his, maybe Nephi thinks of them as his, his kernels of wisdom, his um, Psalms or whatever, you know, something like that. Yeah. It's kind of his, his, uh, preaching magnum opus almost right yeah. this is it's a little bit like um i'm just right now reading uh, actually i'm listening to um the heart of the matter right which is president nelson taking a lot of his different talks that he's already given and putting them together in a coherent way to and it seems like he's trying to say here are the things i'm really trying to get you all to get um and uh, i think I've, I've got a sense that that's what Nephi's doing. This is Nephi at the end of a long ministry since he was young, right? And now he's old. He's saying, here, let me put it all together in a way that gives you the most important stuff so you get what you really need to get. Okay, that's excellent. Good. All right, so that's that's where we start off, and we get a, a good idea of who Nephi is. And um, we know he's born of goodly parents. He's taught the language of his father. Um, and then he says in verse two, which when he's writing is a connection with the Jews uh, or is the, in the language of the Jews. But he also says the Egyptians. Now, you're an Egyptologist. So tell us why that's important. to us. Yeah. And I'll talk about it just a little bit. And then I'll refer you. We've got this uh, whole hour with uh, Noel oh, okay, Reynolds good. where we, we jump into that a bit more. And yeah. I'm not sure he and I see exactly the same thing there. But um, so I suspect when he says the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians, there are a couple of ways you can take this. You can take this as in I'm writing the way that I culturally have learned to write, but I'm doing it with the Egyptian language and script. Or uh, a number of people take it, and I lean slightly towards this, but we really don't have good evidence one way or the other, um, that it is uh, it's Hebrew language and Egyptian script. Um, okay. And, and so you're writing actual Hebrew words, but you're using Egyptian script because Egyptian can, um, you can get three or four or five consonants in one, uh, and it's really common to have three consonants in one sign, right? So you can reduce the record by, uh, you know, make it only a third, uh, take up a third as much space by using that kind of script than if you're using an alphabetic script, which is what Hebrew is. Um, so they can make it's easier to write in metal is going to take up. So you have to make fewer metal plates. You have to do less scratching into metal and everything if you're using that script. So I'm sure it's at least the Egyptian script. Um, maybe it's also Egyptian language and maybe it is Hebrew um, in Egyptian. And we see some examples of that uh, around Lehi's time where they're using some Egyptian script to convey some Hebrew ideas and so on. So. Uh, that kind of thing happens. So like one little symbol could be several of our English words, or even maybe a whole concept or sentence could be in our English. Yeah, script. just one little. Right. Symbol I mean, probably not a whole, not, probably not a whole sentence, but you can certainly get at least a word. Well, maybe a sentence, a phrase, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Phrase. a word or a phrase. In well, like like we were talking one... about, and it came to pass. Could be one little particular symbol, and there's yeah. a lot of it came to pass. So if you took all those came to pass and put them into one little symbol, then yeah, yeah you could you could you could say. Well, now there's a time, a space of time happens from here to here, and it came to pass. So that's one little symbol. I mean, I'm, we don't know what it looks like exactly, but that's yeah. kind of what I'm in, interpreting. So you have a, a word or a phrase could be several different words. So we can, like you said, could reduce it by a third or more, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. Well, not no, by like two thirds, so that it's only a third as long. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So only a third as long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So anyway, that's important. That's he gives us a, little, a couple of clues that that's already in verse or chapter one, verse two. And he talks about how he's writing. So 
Um, and you talk about a little bit in your uh, in um, in the book of Abraham, your book about the book of Abraham. Uh, you talk a little bit about that, too. So um, I would refer our audience to Carrie's book on that. He talks about how the Egyptians write and and uh, some of the, uh, the the prophecies that we have in the book of Abraham. Anyway. All right. Yeah. I want to get too far on that. OK, so this is happening about uh, he, they leave Jerusalem right about the time. Um, of Zedekiah is starting yeah. his reign. So it's 600-ish BC, right? Yeah, and a really, really crucial time. So uh, in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll try and drop this reference. Tell us what's reference. going on. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll do it just a teeny bit. Um, I'll drop a, a reference in the, um, in the show notes to a book that's called Glimpses of Lehi's Jerusalem, where you have scores of, well, a whole bunch of articles just going through all the different political and cultural things going on at that time period. It's a really crucial time period for both the Bible and the Book of Mormon. And I'll touch on it maybe just a little here, but I, I've thought about this a lot. And do I want, I, like I could do a two or three hour lecture just on the, the historical and political things going on there. And instead, what I think I'll do, I'm going to, I am in the midst of creating a website where I can just put extra stuff. Um, and I'll, I'll throw that on there as the extra stuff um, rather than going through right now uh, an hour and a half of uh, uh, the political things, because I don't know that that's what everyone wants. But for those who want that, we'll, we'll get. So we're doing the deep dives here in Scriptures Are Real, and then I'll have the, the deeper of the deep dives uh, <laughs> that I'll throw out there for people that are interested in that. Um, but just basically, you have right at this time period, real conflict in Jerusalem behind whether they should rebel against Babylon or uh, just submit to Babylon. And Jeremiah is telling them submit, and people don't like that. And Zedekiah keeps going back and forth and back and forth, and he, he waffles all over the place because of all the, the huge political pressure being put upon him, and there's a lot at stake. Um, and so uh, Jeremiah has become deeply unpopular by a huge segment of the population because he's saying, if you rebel against Babylon, you'll be destroyed. And those who want to rebel against Babylon find that to be not helpful for their cause. And so he's imprisoned, and you see them talking about him casting, you know, and Nephi talks about them casting Jeremiah into prison. All sorts of terrible things happen to Jeremiah because of this. And there are other prophets that are doing this. Ezekiel's alive at this time, and there are other prophets, and Lehi is one of those. And so Lehi is also going to fit into this group that that a large part of the population will say, um, and especially a lot of powerful people in the military. So let, consider yourself, you're a military commander and you're trying to get your men ready to fight against Babylon. And they're hearing prophets saying, if you fight against Babylon, you'll be destroyed. Right. How helpful yeah. is that for the military commander? <laughs> right. Now, the problem is that they are not listening to the Lord. What they should do that's is say, right. oh, uh, that's what that's what God is saying. So let's adjust accordingly. But instead they say, well, this is what we're doing. So I don't like what God is saying. Right. But right. they they then they start, it becomes easier to say, I don't like what the prophet is saying. And you just say that prophet, what that man is saying. So you can start distancing yourself from God so that you can hold to your own beliefs rather than listen to what God says. And we, we do that today. Plenty. Oh, um, oh, yeah. Relying on the arm of flesh. Right. So, yep. yeah. yeah. What, what should we do? Why did the, the family flock proclamation come out, you know, yeah. 20 years ago or so? And all the other things that the prophets have been saying all this time, they've been saying this. The whole thing but we're like no nah, no nah, we're gonna go ahead and be strong and conquer with tanks and planes and things yeah so that's not going to conquer the people's hearts so exactly so we have babylon on the borders they're not they haven't overtaken jerusalem yet well they i mean they they have uh they've taken some people off there's, right yeah, they've there's conquered a series them of, once yeah right Series yeah, of they've attacks. conquered them. Yeah, and and taken some people off, and they've at this point they have submitted to Babylon, but they're thinking of rebelling against Babylon again. And right. That's, yeah, that's where Lehi and Jeremiah are. They're they're warning them of their wickedness, and uh, this is this is a really important thing. So again, I'll get more into this in the other kind of deep dive thing on uh, it's going to be Enlightened Edge Edu, but as uh, is, is the site I'm trying to set up. But um, they're in essence. You've got a group of people who want to say, nope, we can rebel against Babylon because God always protects us. And you've got Jeremiah and Lehi who are saying, God's not going to protect you. You're not keeping the covenant. Right. And they don't want to hear that at all. Right. No, 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 no. Don't tell us that. So that's why they want to kill Lehi. He is a political threat. Um, and uh, Laman and Lemuel fit in with this other group. 
right? They're going to say, no, the great city of Jerusalem can't be destroyed. We've seen God save it before, or our ancestors did, right? So it can't be destroyed. And kind of forgetting, well, yeah, that was when Hezekiah got everyone to really renew the covenant and keep the covenant. Uh, there's something about that whole covenant business you're forgetting, right? Yeah. yeah, this is very much an Old Testament narrative. Like we saw many times when we covered the Old Testament, the people are constantly fighting against themselves. They They incorporate the 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 cultures around them and they forget the covenant they're not keeping the the commandments and things they should be doing and then then they come back and there's a revival a little bit then they lose it so so this is straight out of that that same time period and lehi is one of those prophets and i think we even mentioned him when we did the old testament i think you, yeah. you mentioned this is lehi is one of these guys saying these things it's one of these not guys but one of these prophets that is saying these things. yeah in fact, if it's all right, uh, maybe yeah. that's what we can do for the rest of our time is just, just do a little teeny bit of a deep dive. Not that we won't. I mean, you know, I could go forever on this, but <laughs> yeah. um, a little bit of a deep dive on this covenant theme that I think we're going to see here, because I think we're going to see it play out for the rest of the Book of Mormon. And so uh, we're even going to see this uh, being touched on in, in Lehi's dream and Nephi's vision and so on, and then how they bring it back in on the uh, the doctrine of Christ and so on, or what what Jacob and and Nephi and Isaiah are doing in the second Nephi, right? We're going to see these same things going again and again and again. So um, there are some interesting things I think are, are worth looking at. So we get picking up right where we were, right? We've got the prophets coming in verse four. And mm -hmm. because Lehi hears those prophets and saying they have to repent or they'll be destroyed, um, Lehi in verse five, he, he prays, right? With all his heart and look at what he's praying for in behalf of his people. Uh, I mean, again, this is this is what it's really all about. It's it, he has this visionary experience in his prophetic calling because he's praying for others, not because he's praying for himself to draw closer to God, but because he's praying for others. And as he prays, and this is one of the things that I find so striking as we look at Lehi's uh, experience here, it fits in so well with patterns we see in the Old Testament of of prophetic calls, right? So he sees uh, fire. Comes so light or fire is so often part of this. Uh, the fire comes and and he hears much and it and it scares him, right? He he's quaking and trembling exceedingly because of of what he hears, and he goes to his house and he casts himself on his bed and then he has uh, like a vision or a dream, right? That we get in verse eight, uh, and he and he sees God and the angels around God and one. The saint out of the midst of heaven uh, that's above the luster of the sun of noonday and 12 following him. So this has to be a savior figure, right? I think this is Christ. Um, but what's really interesting is that verse 11, and, and this is, I mean, everything we're reading here is so similar to say to what Ezekiel sees. And we get little touches of it in, in Isaiah 6 and so on. But the beginning of Ezekiel, and we see this kind of thing all over the, the scriptures, the similar thing where he, the first one comes and stands before Lehi in verse 11. And gave unto him a book and bet him that he should read. So this is so often they're given a book. It's really a scroll is what how we should translate it. I think. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's what their message is. That's what their task is. Right. And and he's filled with the spirit of the Lord. Now, I find this so interesting. First of all, he's going to say, woe unto Jerusalem. He's seen their abominations. And then this is where we get. My father recorded a lot of things about Jerusalem and how it would be destroyed and many would perish by the sword and so on. But Nephi's not going to write it down. But look, after – so that's bad stuff he's seen, right? Abominations, mm -hmm. destruction, sword, being carried away captive. And then verse 14, and it came to pass that when my father had read and seen many great and marvelous things, he did exclaim many things unto the Lord, such as, great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Thy throne is high in the heavens, and thy power and goodness and mercy – are over all the inhabitants of the earth. And because thou art merciful, thou wilt not suffer that those who come unto thee shall, that they shall perish. That's not what you'd expect someone to say when they just saw uh, abominations and destruction right. and sword and captivity, right? Right. Uh, but but this is, I, I think this is evidence that Lehi is understanding the covenant because what God does in the covenant is if you stop keeping the covenant, he humbles you so that you'll come back to him and keep the covenant again. And he'll protect those who are keeping the covenant. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that no bad things will happen to him or that they won't get carried away captive to Babylon, right. but they'll have some kind of protection, right? So like Lehi feels like he's being protected, and he is. 
that doesn't mean bad stuff won't happen to him. Lots of bad stuff happens to him. And what he's asked to do is hard. But yeah. in the end, he sees that this is God really taking care of him. He's thinking celestial, we could say, right? He's right. seeing where this goes. And and uh, and so he's in the midst of seeing the tough stuff. He recognizes that all of that is designed to bring about that which is for our good. And so he says, God, you are merciful. And your power and your mercy are so great that we won't perish because we come to you. And, and uh, that's just an incredible view that, that we struggle with as we go through the difficult things. Uh, and we need to learn a lesson from Lehi here, right? Uh, so if we keep going, we get again Nephi saying, I'm not going to write everything my father did, but. Uh, yeah, well, he said things of visions and dreams. He also had written many things, which he prophesied and spake to the children. So imagine that book of Lehi is has some good good things in it. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I wish we had that, right? Yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah. we had it. Uh, and then they're gonna they at the end of that chapter they want to kill Lehi because of what uh, he's done. And then uh, Lehi has a dream again at the beginning of chapter two where he's told uh, that he's gonna he needs to leave. Now this is a really interesting thing. We talk about the scattering of Israel, right? And we had it with the ten tribes with Assyria, and we're right in the midst of it with the the and it's. I mean, we simplify when we say 10 tribes and 12 tribes, because as will be very apparent here in the Book of Mormon, there are people from every tribe that are in Jerusalem. So we right, know right. that, like, there are more people, we just know from uh, history and archaeology, that there are more people in Jerusalem from that aren't of Judah than are of Judah uh, at this time. So okay. there are people from every tribe, tons of them, right? But, right. Um, but in any case, we're going to see the scattering of these these tribes that are in the southern kingdom, that's starting to happen right now as well. And all of it has been because they've been wicked, except for Lehi. This is a scattering that happens because he's righteous. Yeah. And and God is going to take him and his family away to spare him the destruction because he is righteous, but it's still part of the scattering. This is how Israel goes all throughout the world, right? So he's told that he needs to, to go into the wilderness and that this will uh be a blessing to him and they'll avoid all this terrible stuff um and uh, so he leaves everything and he builds an altar i love that if we see just like abraham wherever they go they're building altars and giving thanks they're offering sacrifices and giving thanks and and so on and he's giving great lessons to layman and lemuel and and so on that uh we could just get into all that a bunch but i want to focus on on one particular thing um we get in verse 16 of of first uh, nephi 2 and it came to pass that i nephi being exceedingly young nevertheless being large in stature don't know why we care about that but anyway and also we I, we care about it later because he can tackle zoram yeah <laughs> uh, having great desires to know of the mysteries of god wherefore i did cry unto the lord and behold he did visit me and did soften my heart that i did believe all the words which had been spoken by my father wherefore i did not rebel against him like my brothers and he tells that to sam um and uh, and so on <clears throat> but here's where we get some really crucial stuff, starting in verse 9. Um, and it came to pass that the Lord spake unto me, saying... Verse 19, verse 19. Right, thank you, verse yeah. 19. And it came to pass that the Lord spake unto me, saying, Blessed art thou, Nephi, because of thy faith, for thou hast sought me diligently with lowliness of heart. Now, I want to... We're going to come back to what the message is in a second, but I want to kind of look at the meta-message here, the, the how he gets the message. First of all, He's crying to the Lord. He, he's asking God to, okay, my father's learning things. I want to know too. So he's asking, and, it, and he's told, it's because you saw me diligently. But, but how? He sought him with faith, believing he'd really learn, and mm -hmm. with lowliness of heart, recognizing he needs this, right? And right. then the Spirit softens him so that, that he believes this. And he's going to learn some pretty cool stuff we're going to come back uh, to in just a second. Um but uh, I find it really interesting that that uh, he says in the end that uh, this is stuff that the Lord spake unto him through his spirit, which makes me think that Jesus had a prompting the same way you and I have promptings. Yeah. Uh, right. But anyway, what I want to focus on is this uh, what he's the promise that he's given when uh when the Lord speaks to him, starting in verse 20, all right? And what I'd like to do, and I actually wrote an article on this that I'll also drop in the show notes. Um, it's called uh, Prospering in the Land, 
uh, comparing prophecies between, uh, I don't remember the subtitle, but anyway, comparing prophecies between uh, the Bible and the Book of Mormon or something like that. It's a, it published at the Interpreter Foundation. Um, but I'm going to kind of walk us through a comparison. The, the place where you have the Abrahamic covenant most fully explicated is probably Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. So we're going to look at the Leviticus 26 version of that covenant and compare it to these very small verses. So it's a whole chapter compared to just like a couple of verses in, in mm -hmm. 1 Nephi chapter 2. So in Leviticus 26, in verse 3, you get the, the beginning of the covenant. If you walk in my statutes, you keep my commandments and do them. All right. So that's the if, right? The comparison to that is in 1 Nephi 2.20 where it says, and inasmuch as you shall keep my commandments. Right. Right. Then if you keep going, verses four through five and nine through 10 of Leviticus 26, you get, then I will give you rain in this due season. Your land will increase and bear fruit and you'll have lots of bread and uh, you'll be fruitful and multiply and uh, you'll have lots to eat. Uh, you won't have to eat old stuff because you keep having new stuff and so on. That shows up in First Nephi 2.20 just as ye shall prosper, right? So right. you had like 10 verses in Leviticus saying, if you keep my commandments, then you'll prosper. And you have part of one verse in, in 1 Nephi 2.20 that says, inasmuch as you keep my commandments, you'll prosper. But it's the same covenant, all right? We get um, also, say, in verses 5 through 6, it talks of Leviticus, it talks about uh, uh, having a land to dwell in. And then in, in 6 through 8, it talks about being protected in that land. And we get, again, in 1 Nephi 2.20, You'll be led out, out to a land of promise and a land that I've prepared for you that's choice above other lands. And then as we get into verses 22 and 23, and in as much you keep my commandments, you'll be a ruler, uh, and those who fight against you will be cursed, basically. So it's the same thing that we have in Leviticus. We get um, in Leviticus 26, 11 through 12, he talks about having the, the tabernacle uh, where they can experience God's presence. Um, God will walk among them and be their God. And we get in first Nephi two 21, that when Nephi's brethren rebel, then they'll be cut off from God. And that's implying that Nephi and his people won't be cut off from God. So in other words, they'll have his presence. Right. Right. Um, in, uh, say Leviticus 26, 14 through 17, he talks about the judgments that will come when they don't obey the commandments or don't keep the covenant. And in 1 Nephi 2.24, we get, and if it so be that they, meaning Nephi's seed, rebel against me, then they, layman's seed, will be a scourge unto thy seed, right? They'll be punished when they don't keep the covenant. Right. Uh, then we get uh, 20, Leviticus 26.41 through 42. It talks about um, when they will remember the covenant with Jacob, then God will remember them and they'll have all the blessings. And we get in 1 Nephi 2.24, uh, they, meaning the Lamanites, will be a scourge unto thy seed to stir them up in the ways of remembrance, right? And then they, then they can... Uh, receive those covenant blessings. So if they remember that they'll be reclaimed. Yeah. And that's maybe kind of a long and boring way to go through, uh, you know, this article goes through it in more detail, but I just want people to see how point by point the covenant is, is established or reestablished in a way with Nephi and his people that God is assuring them as they're leaving the promised land, which they associate with, if we're part of the covenant people, we're in the promised land. He is telling them, you are still part of the covenant people. There's another promised land. This covenant is specifically with you. Now it's with all the other descendants of Abraham as well, but specifically with you, as you go, this covenant is applicable. And right. we find that in the title page. And we're going to, if we look for it, we're going to find it all throughout the Book of Mormon, this notion that the covenant was made with them and they, they, uh, they need to keep it. So, We've learned some phrases that help us recognize it in the Bible, but in the Book of Mormon, the most common phrase is going to be something like prospering in the land or inasmuch as you keep my commandments. Those are the phrases that our listeners need to listen to or, or recognize as they're going throughout the rest of the Book of Mormon to say, ah, talking about the covenant. Now, all the other phrases in the Bible as well, like, oh, you have more uh, innumerable seed or sure. God is protecting you or whatever else. But those are specific Book of Mormon phrases to clue us in that it's talking about the covenant. And if we'll start looking for it now, we're going to, to and we're going to try and guide you throughout the, the rest of the year in finding some of these things. But if you start looking for it now, you're going to find 
so many more references to the covenant in in the Book of Mormon than you had thought there were. And President Nelson has encouraged us to find those references and, and list the blessings that come and so on, right? So I hope that we can be helpful for that. Yeah, I mean, and again, why is this in here? Because the same thing applies to us. The mm -hmm. same thing that applied in Leviticus applied to the people of Lehi, the same thing that applies to us. If you are abiding <clears throat> by the covenant, you're preserved and you will not perish and yeah. you'll you'll prosper. Now, doesn't it's not always you know milk and honey, but other times you know you have, but you won't perish. The Lord will will watch out for it. We're going to see that over and over in the Book of Mormon. That we often call it the pride cycle. It's very clear in the Book of Mormon the time periods, but it applies. It's we're going to see it directly relate to our day as well. Yeah, and that's one thing that uh, again, uh, and maybe we finish off with this. I don't know if you have other stuff you want to talk about, but. Um, I would encourage us, the pride cycle is a great way of looking at this, and pride is certainly an important major theme in the Book of Mormon. But I would say another way we can look at this is as the covenant corruption cycle, um, because the pride cycle we see, say, in the Old Testament, we might call it the idolatry cycle there or something, but we see it all over the place, and, and it's a different false god, might be pride, many changes of perils, one in the Book mm -hmm. of Mormon, right, something like that. Right. But what it is, is we receive the blessings that come from keeping the covenant, and then we think that we've gotten them because we're great or because uh, our armies are powerful or because false gods have given them to us or whatever it is. But we we think that the blessings have come from something other than from God, and so we turn away from God. So then God humbles us so that we'll remember him and keep our covenants again. And you can call that the pride cycle. You can call it all sorts of other things, and we should note the element or the place that pride plays in it but I think we also are coming to understand that we need to recognize the importance of covenant. And so let's let's recognize the role that covenant plays in this cycle that we'll see throughout the Book of Mormon as well. So I think having that in mind here at the beginning of our study of the Book of Mormon will also help us uh, understand the Book of Mormon better. I think that's great. I think that's uh, and we can end it there that really the, the, the Bible and the Book of Mormon are really the record of the covenant people. That's what it is. Yeah. Those who join the covenant become the covenant people. So sometimes it's you know listed as the the people of Israel, which these are all people of Israel, they're all but we also become part of that covenant by adoption when we do when we when we follow Christ and when we adopt that covenant or when we accept that covenant, we become that covenant people. So yeah, yeah and that's, I think it's that's great. part of why Lehi is able to say, oh how merciful you are because he recognizes that part of the covenant is it's, it's this chesed we've talked about before, right? right. Yeah. Part of the covenant is that when you mess up, God will still take He'll humble you and he'll bring you back to him and he'll accept you back, right? And and so even when you're seeing the punishments that come, you can recognize them. Well, that's just God trying to get us to, to come back to him. And you see it as mercy rather than as all sorts of terrible things. And that's that's a, a trait we see in Lehi and we're going to see it in a lot of other people, Captain Moroni and others. It's It's great stuff, so... Well, that's a nice setup for the for the environment of the Book of Mormon and where it comes from and why it's important. And as a continuation of the uh, of the Old Testament and then, you know, particularly the Old Testament, because that's where they're coming from. But bridging that whole covenant people and the covenant extending to all, even though they're scattered, they're really going out and. and uh, the borders of Zion, they're spreading out to. Uh, the covenant to other people in other places. So that's a great way to, to frame the Book of Mormon. We're going to get into the rest of this reading. We'll talk about Le or Nephi particularly and, and who he is and, and how he conquers uh, some of his own things with uh, Laban and so forth. But I think that that uh, let's leave it there with the with the setting of the covenant people expanding out. And while being scattered, they're still expanding and, and spreading that covenant to new places. Amen. Thank you. All right. I am so excited to announce that we are launching our website with fingers crossed. We plan on it being live by Tuesday morning. That's Tuesday, January 9th. Uh, it should be live and we have a bunch of stuff on there. We're going to keep adding and we'll always keep adding. Uh, and we're looking for other contributors as well, but we're going to have stuff on there um, for myself. There'll be a special, uh, what we call a Mulestein masterclass. I'll do those every now and then eventually I'll do like whole classes. Like I want like a 30, lesson on the old testament or maybe 45 lessons or something on the old testament at some point um, we're going to have interfaith roundtable discussions uh and but i'm doing a master class right now 
that will be available on uh, Jerusalem at the time of Lehi and the uh, the route that Lehi probably took as he left Jerusalem and just some things that will help the beginning of the Book of Mormon make sense to you. I've spent a lot of time putting that together. And we're going to have uh, handouts uh, that I give to my Book of Mormon classes. I'll eventually have books that are out of print that are available there. And um, we have some other people doing things for mental health and and uh, interfaith. And we're even going to have some art things and some business things. So all sorts of things available for a very small subscription fee to keep the website running. Uh, so this is something that I, I hope will be exciting for you. We're going to have special episodes of the podcast and probably... Uh, some early releases uh, for those who are hoping to get it even earlier for preparation for their seminary classes or something. Anyway, we're trying to put all sorts of things on this. So you can, it's called Enlighten Edge EDU. So you can go to patreon.com. So that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com, then do slash Enlighten Edge EDU, all one word. So patreon.com slash Enlighten Edge EDU. And you'll be able to get access to all of this, these great things that we're trying to put on this website. Uh, I hope it becomes something that's really useful for you. We want this to be edifying educational experiences. We'll eventually have tours and all sorts of other things on there. And it's going live. We're, we're making this happen. Thanks to all those who are uh, helping us to make it happen. There are a lot of people who have been behind the scenes, especially our producer, BJ. And uh, but uh, so many people. Yeah. And we hope you'll join us next week. Uh, we're going to have uh, Phil Allred on again. He's always uh, popular. Everyone loves him when he's on again. And actually, we'll ha we're having Noel Reynolds for two weeks in a row. Noel's going to talk about some elements of First Nephi 10 that he thinks set the theme for all of, of First and Second Nephi. So uh, these are two great uh, scholars, great teachers. Uh, so uh, join us next week. You're going to love it. Fantastic. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Gary. Thank you.